The nursing industry is one of the fastest growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. This is Leanne Meyer, and I am very happy to be here today. I'm always happy to be here on Monday mornings. So um, today, the title of our show is Nurses Self-Advocate, Job Burnout to Professional Empowerment. Uh, There may never have been a more important time in human history for nurses to step out of the shadows and into the leadership role for the sake of healthcare of the future. Without nurses, there is no healthcare. I'll repeat that. Without nurses, there is no healthcare. Just think about how many nurses it takes in order to be able to keep healthcare moving. Uh, and I think so many times it's that um, uh, that machine behind the scene that people don't even realize what is happening and, and how important the work that nurses are doing and other people also. But nurses, I think, have a very unique uh, role. So nurses have been seen for decades as the most trustworthy profession in the United States. Yet we seem to sit back and wait to be called forward to share the unique and distinct role that we play in all of healthcare. Yesterday, I read a post on LinkedIn by Donna Cardillo. Um, she is the inspiration nurse, and she had a picture. It was a picture of a back and muscular shoulders of a nurse lifting weights. And the caption said, this nurse finally realized one day that she and she alone is responsible for her own self-worth and won't ever let anyone take it from her again. I've been saying this for years, but my guest today, James Carriage, has been doing something about it. He's freshly graduated with a DNP from Resurrection University in Chicago. His passion has been for improving the nurse practice environment and advancing the image and public understanding of nursing profession, and this was his prime focus. So please welcome with me this dynamic young nurse leader. So James, uh, I know you are now the Director of Nursing Services at, is it Amita Health in Chicago? Welcome. James? Right, uh, yeah, can you hear me? Yes. Great. Um, Yeah, thank you so much for having me, appreciate it. Okay, and uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, your bio, just kind of give us, I like to have people Uh, tell their own story because often it is interesting. What brought you to nursing? And then um, how have have you come to your concern for nurse wellness and making clear that it is uh, that nurses do uh, so directly and uniquely impact patients? Yeah, thank you for the question. So I came to nursing, I think, like many nurses do. Uh, My mom was a nurse. And I grew up in a very rural part of northern Michigan. And so my mom um, was one of the few healthcare professionals in the area. And, you know, that she performed a very important role in the community. You know, when anyone was sick (laughs) with anything minor (laughs) or major, they called my mom. 
Um, you know, and so going to people's house, she was not a, 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 you know, home duty nurse or anything like that. She worked in the emergency department, but, you know, she would go to people's houses all the time and, and, and take care of them, including those who are on hospice and, and, uh, those with minor illnesses or injuries in addition to her normal job. And so I, you know, I remember as a kid thinking, God, I want to, I want a career. I want a profession like that, you know, one that is important and makes a difference and, and, you know, a commitment that you have to your community, I thought was just so incredible. So that's kind of what really uh, pushed me into nursing. Yes, I think so many times, and I hear this, of course, again and again, it's one of the reasons I like to um, encourage you to tell your story, because so many times this is where people came from. Um, Even though nurses are making a phenomenal amount of money, more than what I made when I started, you'll laugh to hear I started at 525 an hour, uh, in 1976, yeah. and that was in mm-hmm. intensive care. So yeah. wow. uh, things, yeah, <laughs> things have changed a bit since then, and as they should. Um, I think that you know, especially now, it just seems to me that so many people are looking for more than just money in a job. They're really looking for mm-hmm. uh, that sense that you just described of doing something important to uh, to be able to help out people who haven't a clue what to do in, in these type of situations, and you do. So I really am encouraging anybody who's thinking about nursing, um, you know, <laughs> nursing is pretty expensive exciting field right now and it, it is even when COVID is, isn't around but I think it's especially um, exciting right now so um, people that really want to be in a crucial uh, place at a crucial time um, this is it so um, so tell me a little bit more about um, what is your thought about the current state of nursing profession um, related to engagement, burnout, and moral distress. I know in order to look at um, nursing wellness, you had to look at these issues that are prevalent in nursing. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, I've been very fortunate to have a pretty diverse um, career. You know, I started out in acute care in a hospital here in Chicago, as many many nurses do, Uh, moved into quality and infection control, and then got into leadership roles and and things like that. So it was, I had, I think... um, the opportunity to see different parts of nursing, um, which has been very valuable, but I still think I'm a long way from seeing all that nursing has to offer. I think, this, as you said earlier, this isn't a, a wonderful time to be a nurse. There's so many opportunities from acute care to post-acute care to community settings, public health, um, to school settings, to research academia. But I think so many people don't understand, including nurses, um, understand the full impact of nursing um, and, and what we have to offer. And I think, you know, though it's a very positive time for nursing, there's also a lot of challenges. And I think mm-hmm. that, that, you know, is evident when you look at rates of burnout and compassion fatigue within our profession, specifically in the acute care setting, which is where my, my research and, and, and practice have, have uh, lied. Um, I think we have a long way to go um, to really getting nursing to, first off, for the public to understand what nurses do. Mm-hmm. Um, but also to understand the challenges that we have um, that are leading so many nurses to be burnt out, especially younger ones in their career, which is I think the saddest thing that's happening is um, we're seeing younger nurses, you know, a year into, into their practice, you know, leaving nursing altogether. Um, so I think there's a lot of challenges we have and a lot of things that we as a profession have to face. 
Um, so all of those things, those, those um, kind of elements is really what pushed me to be interested in the practice environment and, and healthy work environments and, and trying to look at what we can do, um, all of us can do in, in small or big ways to correct those problems. Mm-hmm. Actually, when you talk about the younger nurses, um, I was just thinking about that the other day. I was talking to a friend. She and I, um, for our first job, went to uh, Denver. We had checked all through the central part of the United States and ended up in Denver uh, in an inner city hospital. And um, one of the things that we were told later by the, the director of nursing was that she had hired us because we were uh, diploma nurses and that we had had a phenomenal amount of clinical experience during the time we were in school. Um, we also had leadership experience where we literally were running units on our own. So the first unit they put both of us on was at night on a 24-bed circular unit. We each were on two separate um, units, but similar. Um, mine was a step-down unit and hers was a uh, uh, med surge. But uh, as hard as that was, at that time they talked about reality shock. So you go from the training and you've got a nursing instructor over you and, um, you know, people around you and you're taking maybe one patient for half a day or a couple days or something like that. Um, that's what I'm wondering if the training that we're doing is moving away from that clinical aspect and um, staying more in the um, uh, maybe the, the didactic part of it that when mm-hmm. students or when nurses graduate, pass their boards and go to a, an actual facility, they think this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I studied for. Do you have any thoughts about that? Is that are you hearing that from young nurses? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so in, in my current role, I am, as you said, the director of nursing at one of the hospitals here in Chicago, and I have a pretty large uh, span of control. So I um, have the emergency department, the medical surgical units, the ICU, the telemetry unit, um, the nursing office, and a, f- and a few other smaller departments. And so I'm, I'm able to see a broad array of, of new graduate nurses that come into my department. And, mm-hmm. you know, obviously it can be individual specific. Um, I think, you know, you, we get some phenomenal nurses, young nurses coming on board, and we get some that really need a lot of um, transitional help, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I think there is that reality shock that occurs. Now, the pandemic aside, obviously, the pandemic has moved a lot of nursing schools to have to teach online and simulation labs. Um, um, if the technology gets better, that, that's great. That provides a lot of opportunity uh, for remote learning and, and, you know, and stuff. But I think that there is certainly a gap with much of the clinical skills that, and again, I can only speak for acute care uh, nurses, but, um, really a clinical skill gap that's there. Um, as, you know, funding decreases for hospitals, and I'm assuming for academic institutions as well, nurses are coming out, it appears, with less of the physical skills that are required. Um, and, and along with that goes some of the cognitive skills. And that's one of the sad things that, that, that the public doesn't realize is the cognitive workload of being a nurse. Mm-hmm. You know, so often it's the physical skills um, that the public sees. And I hear this all the time from nurses. Well, they don't have any skills left, you know, once they leave the bedside. And I always ask them, what do you mean? What do you mean skills? And they mean putting in an IV, managing a chest tube, managing IV pumps, things like that. And I, I don't think we fully appreciate that. Yes, those are very important, but, you know, I hire nurses for their cognitive abilities, 
right? And I, and I, and I think we need to be more clear in that within, within nursing, that it's the cognitive work that makes you a good nurse, right? The so you feel like the, the rest of it can be trained? Correct. Absolutely. And that's a key point. So when I see new nurses coming out, there is a lot of reality shock. As you said, you know, they're in, they're in clinicals. They have one or two patients, usually one. Um, you know, there's not that ability to then manage two, three, four, five patients. Mm-hmm. And that's, again, why transition to practice programs like nurse residency programs are so important. And at my current site, five years ago, I developed and implemented a nurse residency program um, because we were seeing some of the, the gaps that were there. And that is, and I don't want to come down on academic institutions. That is, I don't think it's anyone's fault. It's just kind of the nature of where we're going as a profession. Um, but I think there are gaps there. So I think when the, when the new nurses come out, you know, the novice nurses, according to Patricia Benner, they, right. they are kind of overwhelmed by this, mm-hmm. you know, and institutions like hospitals, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure post-acute settings and others, you know, don't always have the tools or the resources to provide them an adequate orientation or residency program. So I think mm-hmm. there's a, there is a huge gap there that, that we've got to work to, to overcome as a profession. Say more about that. How does that work then? I'm, I've just graduated from a baccalaureate program. I've applied to your hospital. You've decided I mm-hmm. have a, a great cognitive um, skill and ability, and so you've hired me. Now what? Well, so now we, we run a parallel track in my institution. So you would, a, a new graduate nurse would go through their normal preceptor orientation. So obviously they are one-to-one with, a, with an experienced preceptor. For um, how long? We have, um, it depends on the specialty. So it can go anywhere from four to 12 weeks. Um, obviously ICU and the ED, if it's a new grad, um, we don't get that many new grads, but when we do, it's about a 12-week orientation, depending on the nurses, obviously, you know, how they progress. For a medical unit, it could be four to six weeks. Um, um, it all depends, obviously, on how quickly they acquire the skills and knowledge necessary to transition independently. Um, so there's that parallel track, the preceptive orientation, and then we matriculate them into our nurse residency program, which is a one-year program that's part didactic, part um, clinical skill acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, the goal of that is less the physical skills, but giving them the tools, and we follow AACN's guidelines for transition to practice programs, but give them the tools they need to handle things, you know, more education on conflict resolution, ethics, mm-hmm. you know, really applied ethics, right? right? So, you know, in nursing school and undergrad, you, you know, you study the major issues, end-of-life care and things like that, but those are not the issues that most nurses face day-to-day. They mm-hmm. face ethical dilemmas like, you know what, this physician ordered this medication or this treatment. I don't think this is right, or I don't think the patient is responding well to this. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Right? Or I have an ethical concern about a family dynamic that I am seeing between, you know, whether it's an elderly patient and their, one of their children or all of their children. How do I handle that? Mm-hmm. And so the residents. Especially when you're a young nurse. Yeah. The patient and their family are looking at you and saying, what do you know? (laughs) Exactly. Right. So how do we help them learn, you know, to be assertive, to be confident in their skills without obviously being overly confident when it's not warranted. (laughs) Um, But really, we use a kind of a parallel track at my institution. Um, And there's different ways to do it. I don't think any one way is is better. Um, The literature is kind of not really 
clear on, especially when it comes to nurse residency programs, whether it's a transition to practice or a, a fellowship program, you know, mm. you know, what's the length of time they should spend? What is the kind of structure of the program? Um, there, there's some variety out there. I think the, the, the key point for me as a, as a leader is that are we doing our best to give these nurses both the physical and cognitive skills to be successful? You know, I, in, in much, you know, one of the benefits of these programs is, you know, worrying about turnover and, and things like that. Because as a leader, I have fiduciary responsibilities to ensure that, that I'm spending money well and that I'm hiring nurses, you know, that are going to stay and not leave right, right away. But for me personally, even if they do leave within a year or so, I want to make them the best nurses possible. My commitment to my profession is more important to me than to an institution. And I think, I think as a profession, we have got to get to that point. For so long, nursing has been tied to institutions, which is important. It's given us visibility and funding, but we've really got, in my opinion, to be tied to our profession more so I than agree. just institutions. That's an excellent place for us to go to break. We're just about uh, at that time. And I want to come back and talk about that, um, both the ethics and um, uh, being uh, responsible to the profession um, as opposed to, and how, what the difference is is being responsible to the uh, administration. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And I am Leanne Meyer. I'm here today with uh, James Carriage, who's the Director of Nursing Services at uh, Amita Health in Chicago. And she, he just recently um, graduated from a DNP program, um, and his focus has been about improving the nurses' practice uh, environment and advancing the image and public understanding of nurses, nursing profession. We will be back in just a couple of minutes. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise WomenInHealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020 womeninhealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness.
You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Hi, this is Leanne welcoming you back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And um, today we're talking about nurses self-advocating regarding job burnout and up to professional empowerment. So James Carriage is um, a director of nursing services at Amita Health in Chicago. He recently graduated uh, with a DNP from Resurrection University. And one of the focuses um, that he's had has been around improving nurse practice environment and advancing the image and public understanding of the nurse profession. So he's in a perfect position, I think, to be able to advocate for nurses within uh, an organization. Right before the break, um, James, you said something about uh, uh, really needing to uh, enforce or be clear about the ethics of nursing and to have responsibility to the nursing profession before the administration. Say more about that. Yeah, I think so often um, nursing, you know, is so, as I kind of said before the break, tied to institutions historically. Um, and that has, has both obviously had great benefits and, and some some costs associated with that. And I think um, when we look at our ethical obligations as a profession, it obviously is first to our patients, um, um, to the community, but to each other and to our profession. And I don't think that that gets enough attention um, to how we are, uh, how we do should have obligations to our profession. That means advocating for fellow nurses. You know, there's the old adage, nurses eat their young. I, yeah. Well, I think that's getting better. I, I really do think that's getting better. Good. I think any 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 community that that is marginalized and has reduced power as nurses typically have compared to the healthcare, you know, ecosystem and physicians, um, mm-hmm. you know, there is a tendency to turn on each other. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I I think that's getting better. And I think the key to that is empowering the younger generation. You know, I'm I'm a Gen Xer, um, but mm-hmm. the millennials and, and the Gen Zs empowering them to feel. Mm-hmm proud to be a nurse and, and to stand up for what they feel is right within the nursing profession. Um, you know, and again, you know, an example I used earlier is, you know, in, in nursing schools, I, I, I have three degrees in nursing. I have an associate's, a master's, and a doctorate. And in many of the ethics courses, we talked about kind of the really big issues, you know, end-of-life care and things like that. Mm-hmm. What we didn't talk about enough was really our ethical obligations to advocate on behalf of nursing, to take political mm-hmm. stands on behalf of nursing, as well as our patients in the community. And those, those small ethical dilemmas that nurses face every day in their practice, um, you know, so just, for example, public health nurses right now. Um, I'm quite active right. on Twitter, um, which I don't know if that's good or bad, um, <laughs> but I see so many public health nurses who are brilliant. You know, nursing invented the concept of public health, right? Mm-hmm. And so... And yet they're marginalized on in social media and, and in the, the general media, both print and broadcast media. Why is that, right? They need to have a voice and speak up. 
um, and be heard. And, and to me, that is an ethical issue, right? Why are we right. not giving people voice who have the closest relationship to people in their communities, um, which is which often case, oftentimes listeners? Yeah. So, so why are they not getting that voice? Do you have some I thoughts about that? I think it's a myriad that? of reasons. Yeah, I think it, I do. It's a myriad of reasons. One is just the disenfranchised power of nursing mm-hmm. compared, again, to other professionals such as physicians. I was chatting with a couple of journalists on Twitter not that long ago, and, and you know, I said, why aren't you reaching out to nurses more? Why aren't you reaching out both those in academia and those in practice settings, those in public health departments? And the, the consistent feedback I got from some of these journalists was it's not that we're not reaching out is that institutions aren't putting nurses in front of us. When we ask to speak to a nurse, they say, no, here's the chief medical officer. And for someone like me, that enrages me. You know, Mm -hmm. one time I was listening and I forgot what network it was, so I don't want to, I don't want to defame them with it, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but they were, they had a physician on talking about nursing operations and talking about resource management in the hospital. Let, let mm-hmm. me be very clear. <laughs> By and large, <laughs> physicians have no idea about any of that. It is mm-hmm. nurses who run hospitals. The vast mm-hmm. majority of leadership positions in healthcare are nurses, mm-hmm. right? And so I, it, just, it just, you know, boggles my mind why that is. But I think it's, again, institutions are not putting nurses front and center. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I must have missed if they teach, you know, media skills in medical school, I, I doubt they do. So why are you putting physicians to talk about non-medical issues, right? And so right. I think it's partly that. And I think when you have decades of feeling like you don't have as big of a voice, you stop speaking up. Yep. And I think this is a per- the pandemic has made a perfect opportunity for nurses to say, uh-uh, no way. We know what's going on. We should have a voice in this, and I think I think you're seeing that a lot more. I really, really do. Um, um, the, uh, the American Public Health Association, their 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 nursing section, I forgot the exact name, um, but has been very vocal in social media and in the media to speak up about nursing's role in public health, both disasters like what we have now, but just general public health roles. And mm-hmm. so I I think they're a little bit ahead of us. I think hospital nursing, post acute nursing. Um, has really got to catch up. And I think we've mm-hmm. got to start speaking up. But again, I do think it is that that connection and that kind of um, interweb of institutional nursing that has prevented that. And I say that as a nurse leader, and I understand that and, 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 and want to do better. Um, it's a complex issue, but I, th- I, think it's, I think that's the primary reason why. Yeah, one of the things, um, and, and we were kind of talking about this before, um, the the amount of money that now goes into a healthcare organization is just phenomenal. Um, I started in a small community of 2,000 people with a hospital that had, I don't know, 25 beds or something um, mm-hmm. uh, as, as a uh, candy scraper. And so, you know, mm-hmm. the, the things that were happening in that small organization compared to the mega organizations and then, you know, even more than one hospital situation. I know of one organization that has 800 hospitals across the country. So you're trying, you know, to, you you can't just run your organization according to what the needs are of your um, patients, your citizens, your staff. 
um, because they're trying to keep everything kind of egalitarian across the across the way. Uh, and what you lose in that is that, and again, we were talking about this, that nurses are what keep patients coming back to you. And if you don't recognize that, you see this huge amount of money that's going out to nursing. And the tendency is, oh, we need a few million dollars. Let's just take it out of nursing. They won't even notice. Any thoughts on that subject? Oh, many, many thoughts on that. Um, <laughs> not sure I can <laughs> say all of them publicly in a podcast. Um, that's exactly correct. And, and that, is, that is really the struggle um, that a lot of nurse leaders like myself have every day. Now, in it, believe me, I, you know, us nurse leaders deserve, deserve the, uh, the uh, ridicule sometimes. And, you know, um, but it's, it's easy to blame administrators. It's easy to blame nursing leaders for where we're at. Um, but let's be clear. We are in this position in this country because Americans don't want to pay for the healthcare they demand. Right. That is the number one reason why. Everyone wants top-notch healthcare, the best imaging studies, the best, mm -hmm. you know, academic medical centers, but they don't want to pay for it. And this is a, a, a struggle time and time again. When I was getting my master's degree in public policy, this was, this was a constant theme that came up in a lot of, our, a lot of my courses. And actually, one of the things I wrote my, my master's thesis on for that program. And that, you know, and so that, that then, that truth, then trickles down throughout the entire healthcare system. So when we get to individual hospital budget, and it be, you know when we we're seeing reduced both private insurance reimbursement, but also the, the government payers, Medicare, Medicaid, primarily, um, you know, nursing is a line item. Nursing mm -hmm. is a cost. We are cost centers, right? Mm -hmm. So me as a, me right now as a director, I manage 15 cost centers, mm -hmm. right? And so that's what it seems. So it's easy to say, well, can we reduce your staffing by this much or how about by this much? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think what you just said is very true. And, and what I always push back and say is that, you know, hold on. We are the product that you are selling, <laughs> right. right? People mm -hmm. don't come to the hospital to see an accountant, mm -hmm. right? They come to see clinicians, specifically nursing. That's why hospitals exist. Is for 24-hour nursing care, you know, um, and so I think that is pr primarily the reason why is we are, unfortunately, we are a line item. You know, I, I've, I've gotten discussions with people throughout my career and recently, you know, related to RN direct billing, you know, why don't, why can't nurses, RNs directly bill for their services like physicians do, right? Why does that system exist? Um, I'm not saying that's going to solve it or, you know, or to fix that tomorrow, but I think that is one of the reasons why it's di the diminished power of nurses and institutions. And this is, this is a, a larger issue than I think we can really unpack in, in a single podcast, right. but, but, but it is, but it's one of the driving reasons in my mind, number one, that we see reduced funding in nursing in nursing services and hospitals, reduced mm -hmm. funding from government payers to ner for nursing education programs, when you look at the huge difference between what the federal government pays in general and in, in graduate medical education compared to what they pay for, which is really almost nothing for graduate nursing education, right? Especially postgraduate, um, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's quite stark and it shows values. You know, one of the things in my master's uh, public policy program that several of the professors always kind of drill into our heads is that your budget shows your values. 
Mm-hmm. And so I exactly. try to use that as a nurse leader when I meet with, with our financial leaders who are good people too. They, you know, they have a job to yeah, do as well to keep the door open, let's be clear, um, is that we show our values with where we put our money. And we, nursing has to continually, continually advocate for that, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, no, we are the product that you're selling, so you have to invest in us. And I don't think we've done a great job of that. I think we're doing a better job of that. But it's incumbent upon all nurses to get right. politically active, both in their local community and, and a national scale, because we all have the same constraints. To come forward, um, you know, it's one of the things I was frustrated when I got out of bedside nursing was working and hiring nurses and then dealing with mediation and different things like that. And I would constantly hear nurses complaining about what they have done to us or they have not done for us or whatever. And I remember sitting in a mediation with a uh, director of nursing and she was begging them, please ask me for something I can give you. And um, they continued to be asking for things they knew she could not uh, give to them. Uh, what I kept telling them is you need to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. So you want to come mm-hmm. forward with here are some ideas about what we think would make this situation better, would relieve this situation mm-hmm. or would improve. And it doesn't necessarily mean more people. Uh, sometimes it's just a, a reallocation or different system of uh, letting the nurses make decisions or determining how um, scarce resources are going to be used. Um, but so often those decisions are made at a different level that then comes back mm-hmm. to the nurse and it is not meeting the need that they set out to meet and probably is creating more problems. So this what you were just saying too leads into me the lack of public understanding about what is it that nurses do. We keep saying that, mm-hmm. but we don't always say what is it that we do that is so unique, that is different mm-hmm. than any other part of hospital care. Why aren't we getting that message across? Mm-hmm. Yes, and right, and that's a good point. I think we have a long way to go to really inform the public, and, and God knows the media, especially you know television shows and stuff, are on the whole awful at showing kind of how they portray what nursing is. You know, nursing in any setting performs three major functions. Number one, we implement the vast majority of the medical treatment plan, Mm -hmm. the vast majority of the medical treatment plan. And that's the most visible aspect of nursing, right? That's the inpatient nurses, you know, following Mm -hmm. physician orders in doing treatments and monitoring patients, things like that. Second thing nurses do, um, nurses like myself, is implement organizational policies and procedures, right? Every nurse is, is employed typically by an organization. We are the ones who, who by far implement the VAT, keep the place running, mm-hmm. right? Now that's, that's specifically my role as a nurse leader, right? I don't have direct patient care requirements. I carry out the policies and procedures, keep the place running. Right? That's the second thing. The third thing that gets the least amount of attention, yet is the most important for RNs to, to highlight, is we independently care for patients using our nursing skills. Mm-hmm. And that's in, to be specific about that. Nursing is the healthcare profession that diagnoses and treats human response to health and illness. 
Mm-hmm. And yet we rarely hear that in the public sphere. Rarely do nurses say that, right? Because, and it's been my life's, you know, I think burdened <laughs> professionally is when I'm in meetings or when I'm working with the nurses on my floor and I say things like, what is your nursing diagnosis? What is your care plan? 9.9 times out of 10, they roll their eyes, right? <laughs> oh my God, care plans. I hated those in nursing school. And I'll say yep, to them, everybody wait, did. <laughs> hold up, hold up. Right, hold up. That is your independent practice. That is what you uniquely bring to this setting, to this organization, mm-hmm. to these patients. When you frame it like that, it totally changes their view. So let me just give you yeah. an example. We have multidisciplinary rounds, as every hospital does, right? Nurses, mm-hmm. physicians, case management, respiratory therapy, the pharmacist, discussing patients. Two months ago, I started requiring all my nurses in all my departments, when they report on their patients at these meetings, you have to give your primary nursing diagnosis and your primary interventions. I love it. And it was, I'll tell you, it's been several weeks of, you know, you know, complaining and kind of you know, <laughs> not being ready. But now that they're doing it, they love it. I have had so many nurses come up to me and say, I never thought of it that way. I yeah. never thought that this is what I bring to this patient. I just felt like I'm here to do a good job carrying out the doctor's orders, mm-hmm. right? We have got to reframe that for a couple of reasons. Number one, it shows what nurses actually do. It highlights the unique role that nurses in any setting, right? A public health nurse in a health department working with, with this, you know, marginalized populations, um, you know, or working with in food deserts or working, you know, kind of struggling with social determinants of health and helping patients overcome them, they're using independent nursing judgments. They're making nursing diagnoses on this patient, whether it's knowledge deficits or whatever, and educating them. They're providing independent nursing interventions. But yeah. you never see that in the media because we as nurses don't frame it like that. And I think that's a huge, huge mistake that we have got to correct. And that's why I call on ANA and other professional nursing organizations. You guys have got to be more vocal that. All I hear, I shouldn't say all, much of what I hear from large professional nursing organizations, and I am proud members of them, is all about APN practice. Mm-hmm. I, this is me personally, that is not my interest. I have zero interest in APN practice as, as a political advocacy. My role as a, as a nurse and kind of where I advocate for is getting more attention around RN practice. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see the professional organizations speak more about that. Um, and, it, you know, I really want them to, to look at it, you know, at Nurses Do That campaign to really inform the public what do nurses really do? What is, as you said earlier, what is unique about their role in any setting? To me, that is what you, is unique about it. Right. Well, we need to go to break again. So we're going to take a break here. Uh, This is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing, and I am Leanne Meyer. I'm here today. We're talking about nurses self-advocating for job burnout and uh, up to professional empowerment. Um, And uh, James Carriage is our Director of Nursing Services at Amita uh, Health in Chicago, and uh, we are going to be back with more interesting uh, information on this topic. Thank you for listening. Your life, your health, 
your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Womeninhealthcare.org, a national nonprofit, is our newest partner at Once a Nurse. It is among the most rapidly growing professional development groups for women in healthcare today. Through healthcare education, professional development, mentorship, community, and a focus on self, the organization empowers women with the tools needed to advance their careers. They use initiatives to break down barriers within organizations and equip women with the tools needed to open a powerful force for gender parity. 80% of the healthcare workforce is female, with nurses a massive majority of that percentage. But less than 20% of leadership is female. Join womeninhealthcare.org as they help all women of all ages and all levels rise up. Use code HEALTHPROS to receive $50 off the annual membership fee and receive discounted pricing for events, free resources, webinars, and a substantial discount for our annual leadership summit on October 22, 2020. Womeninhealthcare.org to be where you want to be in the world of healthcare. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Welcome back again. <clears throat> this has been just a wonderful show. I'm really happy uh, to have uh, James Carriage here. He is the Director of Nursing Services at Amita uh, Health in Chicago. And uh, we are talking about nurses self-advocating. Uh, from job burnout to professional empowerment. So I want to come back and um, kind of pick on what we were talking before, but uh, what is really important right now in this era of COVID is dealing with the moral traumas that nurses are going through and then how those are being dealt with. So I want to turn it right back over to you, James, and talk about that. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, we, we, you know, one of the things that that, that really kind of inspired me during my doctoral work um, and actually through much of my profession the past few years is looking at burnout, compassion, fatigue, and moral distress among practicing nurses and clinical nurses. And, and, and how does that really kind of lead to things like obviously burnout and then lead to turnover and, and, and disengagement? And one of the things that we were talking about earlier, and I, I, I think, you know, I want to kind of highlight is the important role that the important role that nurses play, the unique role that nurses play in healthcare. Um, and then us as a profession really highlighting that, which as I said earlier, I don't think we we've done a, a, a good enough job of. 
Um, when you look at engagement and you look at nurses um, throughout their work, what, what's causing them to be disengaged, you know, a lot of it is workload. A lot of it is, as you said earlier, Leanne, that, that reality shock of what, um, you know, modern day nursing looks like and, and mm-hmm. the stressors associated with it. And then the moral distress, you know, one thing I hear not infrequently, uh, sadly, from nurses, younger nurses, nurses who have a few years experience is really the um, moral distress that goes along with that, the desire that drove them into nursing to make it different and getting into their first job or second job or third job and feeling like they're just not doing a good enough job. You know, whether they feel like their workload is too high, they don't have enough either social support or leadership support, or they don't have the tools they need to provide, you know, for example, really good patient education spending more time at the bedside, getting to know the patient, you know, doing a better job, you know, advocating for that patient, vigilantly monitoring that, that, that patient and, and, you know, leading to real moral distress. And I think that's one of the saddest things in nursing right now um, is that the impact of moral distress and, and yes, at least to turnover. And yes, that's very concerning, but more so the, the, the emotional impact that that has on nursing. And though I didn't study this in my doctoral research, um, I think one thing I think is interesting or, or could be helpful is, as I was saying earlier, is nurses really really identifying and and being proud of the unique role they play, you know, as a mitigating factor for some of that moral distress. I mean, when you go into any hospital in this country and you walk into some of the nursing units, the nurses are frantically running around <laughs> trying to manage the workload, trying to carry out all the physician orders, provider orders, and fulfill those other roles, as I was saying earlier, you know, kind of uh, the operational roles in, in hospitals. And, you know, and lose sight of why they're here, the role they play. You know, one of the saddest things I hear from nurses, and I still hear it, is, well, I'm just a nurse. Mm-hmm. And it just, it literally breaks my heart every time I hear that. You know, and I, and it stops me sometimes, and, and I'm not always good about at the time doing this, but many times I'll stop and say, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> You're not just the nurse. You are the nurse for this patient or on this mm-hmm. unit or in this hospital, right? This place doesn't run or, or, or produce anything of value without you here. Right. And I, so I think exactly. if we highlighted that more and I don't have a perfect answer, but, but if we highlight that unique role that nurses play, I hope and would think that there would be some mitigation of the of that impact of moral distress on their everyday, you know, work life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that goes uphill too, a little bit when you've got the managers, um, they're in kind of a difficult position in that, they're not one of the the group of nurses, but they're not really the upper management either. So they're sort of in this no man's land in between where they're being asked to do unbelievable things, you know, with less and less money often um, and, and being asked to do more and more with less and less. Um, so then Correct. you've got several layers of moral frustration and um and again, you know, unless somebody is speaking out about it and, and uh, advocating for changing that pattern. I mean, you talked before about nurses being having invented um, 
public health. Well, you know, go back to Florence Nightingale. Nurses invented hospital organization, period. Mm-hmm. And at Correct. some point along the line, that got taken out into um, uh, uh, levels above them who <clears throat> were looking at, you know, uh, or ostensibly were looking at the whole organization. Um, I think it's gotten away to the point that the people who are in that position don't really understand that frontline level that is so critical. Right. It, absolutely. And I think I, I'm glad you brought that point up. You know, me, even as a nursing director, I have moral distress all the time. I, I think, you know, I think as we get our budgets every year, so to speak, and it, it, it's, you know, less money for nursing or, or reduced productivity mm-hmm. targets, I have significant moral distress about that. And, and I, and I, I want to make that clear to people. You know, the CNO, the CEO, they're not up in their offices, you know, some, you know, evil mastermind from a 1920s, right. you know, movie. You know, they're also <laughs> distressed at this. This is, yeah. this is a structural problem in U.S. healthcare that, that mm-hmm. we as nurses have to stand up and vote and get involved in the process, right? Mm-hmm. Educate the public. But I also want to go back to something you just said about nursing's role, and I'm really glad you said this. Most people have no idea that hospital design and construction was invented by a nurse, Florence Nightingale. Mm-hmm. I encourage everyone to go read, it's very small, her notes on hospitals, where she lays out things like ventilation, air quality, you know, sunlight, mm-hmm. proper food, the design of hallways, six feet apart for the, for the cots and beds. She invented that. Hospital mm-hmm. epidemiology was invented by nurses. Anesthesia was first administered by nurses. You know, we don't highlight that enough in the role that nurses have, especially on the acute side within hospitals. We designed what hospitals are, right? And yet we don't get the, the, the attention for that, the credit for that, and we don't use that as leveraging points to have a greater say in how inpatient hospital care is run. So the next time I have you on the show, James, we're going to talk about <laughs> what would, what do hospitals need to be designed? How do we need to revamp the pattern of how hospitals have been set up? So um, we're coming to that point where I want you to uh, say, is there one thing that is that if people don't get anything else out of this show, what is the one thing you want nurses across the world and other people listening to know? Oh, God, that's a tough one. Um, (laughs) What I would say, to to quote one of my favorite shows ever, West Wing, Mm. decisions are made by those who show up. Mm -hmm. And if you are not showing up and speaking up, you are never going to be heard, which means you're never going to have the power to make decisions. And others will make decisions for you. Mm -hmm. So that is the number one thing. I say that to my team members all the time. Decisions are made by those who show up. So nurses have to show up. Imagine if nurses showed up uh, every time in the boardroom or, I mean, they would be so overwhelmed. But that's what, you know, it almost needs to be if it's if it's just um, people who are speaking on behalf of those uh, nurses. When you think about how many nurses there are in this country, I think it's 30 million, 30 plus million. And then I don't even know around the world because it's so hard to designate who falls into that category of nurse. Um, but I just feel like with the attitudes and the and the um, 
mission that most nurses feel that keeps them in this job. That's what we need to really develop healthcare on a level that puts, again, the patient at the center, which we always say, but somehow or another, it never happens that way. Um, so I, I feel like that's what we need to do. And, and nurses have, um, have a, a podium right now that if we step up to it mm-hmm. and start talking, I think that we can have some impact right now. And that's what I'm hearing from Absolutely. you, too. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Right. Great. Well, we are at the end of this show, and so I absolutely want to thank you, and I do want you to come back. We will talk about that later <laughs> and see what else we can cram into less than an hour. Um, but uh, <laughs> what I wanted to end with is um, we're talking about self-advocation of nurses uh, for themselves, and I wanted to read this from my favorite poet, uh, Daisaku Ikeda, and it says, no matter what the circumstances you should never concede defeat, never conclude that you've reached a dead end, that everything is finished. You possess a glorious future, and precisely because of that, you must persevere and study. Life is eternal. We need to focus on the two existences of the present and the future and not get caught up in the past. We must always have the spirit to begin anew from this moment to initiate a new struggle each day. Beautiful. That, I love that. that. Okay. That and that is actually in a uh, book of of um, quotes for to, it, it's for today. So I thought, well, that couldn't be any more pro- appropriate. So we are <laughs> um, at the end here. So I just want to say thank you. And this has been once a nurse, always a nurse, exploring the world of nursing. I am Leanne Meyer. I have had the privilege of talking today with James Carriage, currently Director of Nursing Services at Amita in um, Health in Chicago. And I fully expect he's going to be taking a uh, more ad- advanced and uh, operative role in nursing and the nursing leadership in the future. Thank you for being on. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.